and welcome back to the Transient Bacon Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Today we have Kevin Crew, who is a small business, oh, I'm butchering business, small business <laughs> coach. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the program. Awesome to be here. Thank you, Matt, for having me. Yeah. Um, how did you become involved in small business coaching? And maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what your experience is. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a circuitous route, I guess. Um, so going back a ways, many years, my my professional career began in youth and then adult ministry in a church context where, okay, uh, you know, I, I really learned a ton about um, managing systems and working with people um, and how one-on-one, uh, how small group connection is really um just kind of a meaningful and, and really important to people's development and their maturation, which is basically like coaching, essentially. It's coaching people through a paradigm, through a framework, through a curricula, if you if you will. Uh, and then around 2006, you know, I kind of found myself in various um, W2 kind of marketplace roles, got a lot of broad experience in sales and marketing and operations, mm-hmm. and eventually just kind of ended up with the entrepreneurial bug. Uh, I kind of liked, you know, doing things my own way and, um, you know, and, and ended up consulting with, with various companies doing done for you work, doing advisory work. And although I had done some, you know, coaching engagements throughout the course of that period, it wasn't until one of, of my colleagues and the people in my life, um, really spoke into my life. You know, sometimes the people around us have a better sense of objectivity than, than even we do. Yeah, well said. And yeah. And so, you know, he, he just told me straight up, I, I think you'd be a great business coach. And it was kind of one of those moments where, um, just the, the, the things aligning in the, in the right way and that affirmation from that outside source, it just kind of felt like a light bulb, um, hit me at the second it landed. I'm like, of course, of course I'm a business coach. I have this ministry kind of people background. Um, I have this business background. Um, and so really with, with all of that experience, all of those things coming together, uh, leading me into that moment. And so really quickly there, after that experience, uh, I, I began to pivot my practice from mostly done for you, marketing work, um, messaging, positioning work to coaching small business owners on various systems, frameworks, and methodologies that help them achieve their dreams and enjoy the journey. So I definitely feel like I'm in a sweet spot these last several years um, with you know, kind of at that nexus point of, of all of those experiences accumulated thus far. So it sounds like you had somebody who kind of saw the uh, spark, the... Um... There was something there that they figured, well, this guy has the necessary skills needed to be a business coach. What do you think they saw in you? And then moreover, what do you think the necessary skills are to become a successful small business coach? Yeah, well, so it came from a guy who was is kind of in the sunset of his career, um, really successful um, financial advisor, financial services guy. And one of those guys who... Um, you know, without any reward or looking for a reward, just likes to grab coffee with people, pour into them. I think we ended up, we met on um, some kind of call where we were offering um, some kind of uh, advice to nonprofits, actually, come to think of it. And he said, hey, I noticed this about you. And, um, you know, I 
I'd have really have to go back and ask him exactly what why he thought that, but I can take a few guesses at it. Um, you know, and and I think the prior story I just shared with you about um, you know the ministry background, which is really it's a people business for lack of better term. It's about people. It's about caring for people. It's about helping them become better. Uh, and so that's one aspect of business that's really, really important. So the soft skills of listening, uh, empathy, patience, encouragement, um, but also um, being willing to bring the challenge when needed, right? Being willing to speak the truth, which is sometimes hard to hear for people in a way that's loving and way they can can accept that. Uh, and, uh, and that's certainly been a growing experience for me. So that's the soft skill piece of, of coaching. And then some of the hard skills are going to be, you know, areas where you have a little bit more particular subject matter expertise. And there's lots of coaches and kinds of coaches and ways to coach. So that's going to be really particular to, to those areas where you, you focus. Um, for me, what that means is um, having mastery over particular operating frameworks, business concepts and systems. Um, so things like um, identifying your vision. Um, and your mission, um, really codifying that into goals that the organization can rally around and own. Um, management frameworks, um, ways of instilling more and more accountability into the organization. Um, how do we actually execute and pull off uh, what we say we're planning to do or what we'd like to do, right? How do we actually get it from vision to, to done? Um, things like metrics and key performance indicators, um, process improvement, and, and whatever else in that list of things we could continue on with, it's the ability to sort of keep the big picture in view and in mind with when, when you're sort of dipping into um, all of this minutia. And, you know, that that really sort of frames the one-to-one -one conversation. If, if you're coaching in peer groups, like I also do, um, coaching takes on a different flavor. Um, it's really a different role. It's a more of a facilitation role, helping members of that group with structure and focus and timekeeping for that meeting so that they can, they can begin to sort of coach each other using those same skills that I just kind of went through. And so, um, you know, the, the great thing about that model is, is in the, in the cohort models, I don't really have to be the smartest guy in the room. There's a lot of collective wisdom there. Um, they can actually help each other solve their problems. And so my role just becomes that of a shepherd or a facilitator. Yeah. Um, I like what you said there about people focused. I think I was listening to a seminar from Simon Sinek and Sinek? Mm -hmm. yeah, real cool guy. Uh, he said basically, um, I think he was talking about a company, but they were like, Hey, we're a people company. We just happen to sell cars or whatever it was. And it was just kind of taking that mentality that we're all about people and the connections and building each other up. And then we just happen to sell a product. So I, I, I really um, enjoyed that. Um, the uh, other thing I was going to ask you is, so you, I feel like we're kind of touching upon philosophy how i mean what is your coaching philosophy and then how would you say if you're coming in to be that facilitator like you talked about what how does what does success look like how would you define it yeah great question uh and and you know you started talking about simon sinek and of course he's famous for start with why as opposed to what or how um and it's a slight nuance uh, but uh, you know, my perspective on that, it's, it's a really good segue, actually. So, you know, what is success? Success, generically speaking, is getting where you're trying to go. 
accomplishing what you're after, right? And I, I certainly want to help my clients get there, but I also want to help them ask the deeper questions about why, there's that word, why getting there is important to them. And is it a worthy goal based on their value system? Um, and, you know, we don't want to have that, that there be a disconnect there. Um, that's where lack of engagement comes from in the workplace. That's where lack of enthusiasm comes from in the workplace. It's because it's disengaged from the why. And as human beings, uh, we have to, we'll do anything for a purpose. We'll actually endure suffering if there's a, a strong enough why. Um, and so it's not about necessarily like providing people the most cush job or benefits or whatever, all those things, those things don't hurt. But if you can connect your employees and even as the business owner, get really, really connected to the ultimate why, why this is important to you and what it means in the world. In other words, like what good do we want to help create or uh, conversely, like what evil do we want to help vanquish? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, that's got to be part of the conversation. And, and so when it's all said and done, like, when people are saying things about you at your funeral or you stand before God, what, why has it mattered and to whom? I actually think this is relevant for business, even though it sounds, you know, kind of outside of what we might typically think of in terms of business, businessy talk. Um, and so, you know, this may be not a surprise knowing what, you know, about sort of my ministry background, but I think your business should feel kind of like a ministry in a way. In other words, it's an act of service. It's it's the outpouring of what you believe and what your value system is. It's when you put your hand to the plow, it's it's like, man, these are my beliefs. These are my values. And I'm going to actually do something in the world that um, is the the outpouring of this act of service to my customers, to my employees, to my investors, my other stakeholders, to the world. So, you know, business owners, they <laughs> there's a lot of skin in the game. They put their heart and soul into it. Countless hours, you know, um, blood, sweat and tears, as they say. Um, and life's too short for, you know, a third to half of your life to not mean much. Yeah, I, I'm sure I stole it from somebody, but I would say um, no one really needs a job. Everyone needs a purpose. And of course, people need jobs, right? But it goes back to how important the purpose is. Everybody needs a purpose. Um, and that's especially true when they're working towards a shared goal in an organization. Um I also am a big fan of servant leadership, which I think is really important. And I think that um, I can't come up with a great example of a servant leader, but I think it's really important that the people that you work with see that you've, like you said, you got skin in the game and that you're you're in it for the right reasons, so to speak. Absolutely. Um, and you have to walk the talk. Um, so, so leadership is not necessarily only like just telling people what to do. Um, and this is the, this is the kind of, you know, some of the toxic leadership that people react to sometimes, but I'll give you a real tangible example of this. So, um, before you go like tell your people as a business owner, uh, Hey, make sure that your scorecard is filled out by the, every time we meet on a Monday at 10 o'clock, you know, every week, make sure your scorecards filled out. Cause your scorecard tells us, um, you know, how you're performing against the priorities of the business and the behaviors and the activities that, that make that up. Um, but if I don't have my scorecard filled in and I, and I show up, that's a problem. Um, that's kind of tantamount to do what I say and not what I do, you know, sort of the, 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 the negative axiomatic parenting moment, right? Like 
don't ever do that. And, um, and so accountability is 360. Um, if I want my people to do certain activities and behaviors that I am telling them are important or necessary for the business, to what extent have I done that? Or to put it, you know, in a, in a sort of a strange way that people have put it often, am I eating my own dog food? Um, and that's credibility and that's walking the talk and that's mutual accountability. So um, regardless of rank, <clears throat> um, viewing an upcoming meeting with people in your business, even if they work for you and you sign their paycheck, is an actual opportunity for you to get better in just walking a talk and doing the things that you have told everybody else that's already important for the business. Yeah. I was listening to, I think, something on NPR. They was talking about Jack Welch, who was the old CEO of what GE, I believe. Right. And how just uh, what a a difficult person, let's say, he was to the people mm -hmm. that worked with him and how mm -hmm. for whatever reasons GE uh, was very successful, but at what cost? And I think it was cost cutting and taking positions away. It was treating people as... Um, less than. So I definitely uh, am, am a proponent of any organization who treats their uh, employees with uh, respect, to your point. Um, pivoting a little bit, what? Um, so say you're a, an organization and you've decided to go ahead and hire a business coach to maybe kind of get some of the, um, some issues uh, in, in, in uh, so, some attention, what questions would a company or organization need to ask in order to hire the right business coach? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll give you an answer and then I'll come back and sort of nuance the answer a bit. Um, so really straightforwardly, you know, what are your goals and what do you want to achieve? Um, what are your gaps and what are the, you know, how are those gaps preventing you from achieving your goals? Um, what kind of help or support do you need, do you really need to help you close those gaps so that you can achieve your dreams? It might be a coach, it might be a service provider, it might be a consultant, and, and these are different things, actually. Um, I, I would draw distinctions between coach, service provider, consultant. And sometimes the same person can sort of act in, in those different ways, um, but it's sort of important to know um, what you really need to fill those gaps. Um, the next piece, I think is also valid uh, when you're asking about the right employee or even the right investor or board member. And it's, does your coach share a common value system and worldview? Uh, and enough of sort of that um, common denominator, not that we need to be, you know, um, all same, same, same. Diversity is a good thing. Um, we need to have different perspectives to see each other's blind spots because we're all prone to that. But um, there's got to be sort of a minimum viable commonality among a value system and a worldview so that um, the things that you're you're arguing for um, come from a common place that you're arguing from, meaning like certain assumptions about the world, certain uh, views on what's good, what a good one looks like or what a bad one looks like. Um, and then the fifth thing would be like, do you have a common understanding of how success is measured even in that relationship. So the, the, you know, sort of, um, the post log here, the revision, the, the nuanced statement of that is, you know, you, you could actually hire a consultant or a coach to help you answer those questions about finding the right coach, which a bit I realize is a bit circular, but sometimes, and oftentimes it's really difficult 
to get out of your own head or to um, guide yourself through those questions. And so um, one of the key benefits of whether it's a coach, whether it's a consultant, whether it's a service provider, is that they're outside of your system. And so they do have a certain amount of objectivity and they can see things a lot more obviously than you as the business owner can see them because you're down in the weeds. And um, again, you've lost objectivity. And that's that's a, that's a problem for everyone. It's a problem for me in my own business, <laughs> which is why I have uh, business coaches and why I have communities of other coaches that, that can speak, can look and see and, and care about me and then speak into that. So I think those are some good places to start in terms of questions that you want to ask. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll use that as a segue to talk about um, the difference between coaching and consulting in a, in a very proper sense. Um, a consultant is an expert, an expert in, in the thing that, that you probably need help accomplishing. And um, you kind of hire them to give you answers you don't have or hire them to um, solve a problem you don't know how to solve. Um, and it's typically they're going to do that work for you. That would be my definition of a consultant. A coach um, is, is different. It's a different role. They certainly have some expertise. They probably have some frameworks, but it's a much more about helping you get to the place that you need to get to relative to your problem. So it's a little bit more Socratic, meaning question answering and, excuse me, question asking rather than prescription prescriptive. So one of the things I have to kind of fight against in my coaching practice, even in my own personality, is being overly prescriptive versus curious, inquisitive, um, prompting um, the coachee to uh, think through some of the natural potential implications of such and such decisions and then make a decision for themselves about what they want to do based on, you know, that kind of risk appetite and understanding of what we think are probably likely outcomes of a certain decision path. Does that distinction make sense, Matt? Yeah, it does. Um, and then kind of circling back to the original question, I I, I was thinking it, it might be too simplistic, but I always think of like a SWOT analysis where it's like strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. You go ahead and take your little sheet of paper out and you, you carve it into quarters and you start putting that down and it doesn't necessarily have to be the business owner. It could be like the, the board or um, maybe yeah. the executive staff or whatnot to try and kind of see if they're all on the same page. And then like you were saying, like getting, getting off in the weeds of the blind spots, I think maybe that could kind of, but maybe that's too simplistic. Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's too simplistic. And I think simple is often best. Um, it, it, this isn't really about, um, simple or complex it's yeah. just about doing things like this in a regular way a regular consistent um i'll even use the word religious way meaning very predictable very committed to consistency um because uh that's where you're able to, to step out of the system and reflect so i kind of think of this as a dance um and the dance happens on a weekly level it happens on a quarterly level and it happens on an annual level so the dance is uh, monday through friday you're, you're 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 in the dance and you're you're executing a playbook as it were to sort of mix a metaphor here uh, so you're dancing or you're you're um, you're playing running the place the weekend comes and, and we get a break from work and then uh, we can step out of the system or step out of the game or step out of the dance right and so we're now in this 
intermediary period. And that intermediary period is really useful for a few things. And I kind of think of this as four R's, uh, kind of an R4 process that I use in, in my in my life personally and in my practice. Uh, the first one is is R for uh, first R is recharge. So we we actually need rest. Uh, we need to take a break. <laughs> um, we need to um, step out of it and just let our minds, our bodies, our emotions recover. Uh, and you know, Saturday is wonderful because you get to go to the beach, or you get to go down to the river, you get to go to the mountains, or you get to go to a movie, or whatever it is. Get your mind out of the business and go enjoy. What God made outside, enjoy your family, and and actually would say that that's productive work because uh, you need that. Uh, the second R is report. Report. So um, you want to report on how you did against objective standards, maybe key performance indicator goals from the previous period. So in this case, we're talking about a week at a time, but you can run the same process every quarter and every year, and I recommend doing that. Um, and then, so once you're reporting, you know, like, okay, my scorecard is looking a certain way, right? I'm tracking key performance indicators that, uh, are objectively useful for the business or tell me where I am in relation to specific goals that have an end date. Uh, and I want to be, I want to have my finger on that pulse every week across the quarter. Um, the third piece is reflect. So we've got uh, recharge report and now reflect. And reflect is uh, how did it go? <laughs> Meaning last week or last quarter or last year. Um, what went well? What didn't go well? What should I change? What should I add, subtract? Um, how am I feeling in relation to my business? In in kind of the quiet moments, um, what what is what are my thoughts and feelings telling me about where I am in relation to this? So that's a bit more of a subjective component. Um, and from there, um, you get to now refocus, which is the fourth R. And the refocus piece is given, you know, the opportunity to reflect, given the opportunity to report, to recharge. Now I'm in a position to say, what next? What is strategically important for this next period? And it could be this next week. And so I like a one hour Sunday afternoon weekly preview meeting where I go through this whole process every week. Um, and Every quarter, I take a week off. It's called an R4 week. Next week, that week, that's my week for, for that. Um, happens to be next week between quarters for me. And then every year um, with the whole year in retrospect and then the coming year. So, um, you know, you, you, you started this question about a SWOT analysis and I like a SWOT about once a, a year. Um, and there's different aspects of SWOT and you can do a marketing SWOT, you can do a whole business SWOT, you can do an operations SWOT. Um, but essentially, that's a reflective exercise. And again, it's not a one and done. It's a process of a commitment to continuous improvement, which requires those four components. Recharge, report, reflect, refocus. That's good advice. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, is it true that running a small business is actually a little bit more difficult than, say, like a larger business just because of uh, economies of scale? And if you make a mistake, um, managing a small business, it could be detrimental? Well, there's unique challenges to running a small business. Um, and uh, and there's unique challenges to running a medium size and, and also to a larger business. And they each have their own problems. And as companies grow, they hit certain ceilings and they have to innovate. Um, 
they have to change things up. So um, pick your problem, I guess. Yeah. Um, and the, the unique problems of a small business are typically going to be um, a lot of hat wearing. So you wear as a small business owner or the staff that you have are wearing multiple hats and are, are performing multiple functions. And yet they have a finite capacity. And so people can start to feel over capacity, burned out, um, and they're not operating or they don't have the luxury of only exclusively operating in their best and highest use. They've got to, you know, quote, be a team player or take one for the team or whatever, right? These are euphemisms for pull long hours and, um, you know. Yeah, I cringe uh, when you say that, but I hear (laughs) you. Yeah. So, uh, there, there are solutions to that. Um, and it's, there's no silver bullet, but you know, first thing would be, um, understanding what is your best and highest use. So I have a tool for that. Uh, you input little, uh, you, you kind of score, um, your skill and your will and the importance to the business uh, of any of the tasks and functions that you or your employees perform on a sort of weekly basis. And it kind of plots you on a grid and, and shows you what are the things in, you know, there's a quadrant for things that you should really try to operate more in. These are your best and highest use uh, tasks and functions. Um, and then, you know, low will, high skill, you know, high skill, low will, those kinds of, mm-hmm. these kinds of things. And you can identify um, candidates for delegation or to, for outsourcing and what have you. So, um, the, the time, energy, focus, and money constraints for a small business are generally what you see. Um, and if you're going to see improvements in those areas, it's going to take a concerted effort to, uh, to, get, to get out of that, that hurting spot and a willingness to embrace frameworks, systems, and I'll say the word rituals to, uh, to make that happen. Yeah. And I think you kind of touched on it, time and focus. Um, are there any other common issues that really keep a small business from whether it's growing or, or, you know, whatever reaching the full potential would mean to the business owner? What are some other issues? Yeah. Um, so one of the things, one of my favorite quotes is from John Maxwell. He says, um, dreams don't work unless you do dreams don't work unless you do. And, uh, so you know, as a percentage of the overall population of given business, the small business owner is a large percentage. Um, and so what's going on in his or her head or heart is really, um, has a huge influence on the business. And, and so, uh, you know, if there's habits that are stuck, if you're stuck in a rut, if there's kind of a lack of neuroplasticity, uh, if we could use that word, or um, a fixed rather than a growth mindset, um, that's going to be problematic. Um, one of the things when I onboard new clients, I ask under self-rate on a scale of one to five, um, how ambitious are you? And I need to see a four or a five because if people aren't ambitious, then they're fine with the status quo. There's not a whole lot of motivation to go bigger and better um, or do something different. And the second is um, how coachable are you? And the coachability aspect um, is super important because if you're not coachable, 
uh, I, I can't help. Uh, and so uh, that coachability aspect gets into that growth versus fixed mindset piece. Um, you might have had a lot of success to get you here, but what got you here may not work to get you there. Um, and so are you open? Are you humble? Um, are you willing to do some things that you haven't done before? Um, and so I think if there's a willingness to, to do that, um, then there's a lot of positive opportunity for growth. Yeah. Now, I think uh, I might know the answer to this next question because I've heard you mention systems like two or three times already. But as a small business, is it more important to gain an outside perspective on growth opportunities or focus on identifying inefficient internal processes? Um, so I actually think it's a false dichotomy. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and, what, and I don't know if you anticipated that answer. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you need process for growth and you need process for efficiency. So there's all kinds of processes, or we also might use the language of journeys, journey language in a business. And there are revenue processes. There's processes to attract people to your brand, to get them in the door as leads, to move them through from a, a marketing to a sales funnel, to convert them to customers, to, to service those customers uh, in a way that is efficient and um, attractive. So uh, it's all process all the way through from beginning to end. Um, what are the components of that process? Are they efficient? Can any of them be automated? Where are, are, where is the process best served when serviced by people? Um, who are the best people for those particular areas of transition between steps in the process or conversion? So um, I, does that answer your question? Am, am yeah, I getting I mean, at what you're uh, asking? Well, and I love that series of questions because it, help it helps you really drill down. Um, so yeah, I, I think so. But But I guess I'm thinking what happens when a business owner isn't ready to accept maybe some of the issues with their company and, and pushes back against maybe some of your recommendations or suggestions? Well, um, you know, ultimately their decision-making process and um, the decisions they make will yield a certain result. And that result is that is something they get to own, whether it's good or bad. Um, and I, I don't certainly would never purport to say I have all the answers, nor do I even view myself primarily as answer man, like in the context of that relationship. Um, and so, um, my role is actually, I will bring my expertise to bear, but like I said earlier, I try to be pretty soft in terms of how prescriptive I am around that more, it, it more informs my expertise informs the questions that I ask. And my goal in the question asking is um, to lead people to, to, to draw their own conclusions. And it's really more around, um, if we were to do such and such, what do you think the outcome would be? How would you know? What would you measure? Do you like that outcome? What about this as a risk? Does that risk concern you? How might you mitigate that risk? Um, and then here's the two most important questions. Ready? Here they are. Now, after we've had all this discussion and batting things around and kind of unearthing possibilities, what are you going to do? 
and when are you going to do it? What are you going to do and when are you going to do it? And I'll often preface those two questions with my clients and I'll say, you know what I'm going to ask you, right? I'm going to ask you the two questions. What are you going to do and when are you going to do it? And when are you going to do it usually means when is it time blocked on your calendar? Because next time I'm going to ask you about it because it's on our list. So it really does get that granular. So I'm trying to lead people to kind of their own self-discovery of like, what, what do I need to do? Help them think through the implications of that. Make a decision, commit to that decision and get it done because it's on the calendar and they're, they're defending that appointment with themselves. Mm. Um, as you coach and consult with area businesses, how would you rank the Treasure Valley as far as um, being... I don't know, business friendly. Um. Yeah. Um, so I, I've just recently moved from a larger market, a much larger market uh, out of state. And, and so it, it's been, a, it's been just shy of a year. So I'm still getting to know the particularities of the treasure Valley. Um, one of the things that I really like is that um, people um, it's, it's a face-to-face -face business. Whereas I think the market I came from was a little more comfortable with digital. Mm -hmm. Um, so that presents its own unique, um, challenges and opportunities. Um, there's people are willing to, people are really willing to help. Obviously there's been a huge influx of, of, you know, population here. And I think the dust is still settling on like, what, what does this actually look like? Um, what businesses are here? What are our new capabilities as a market? So it's 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 been a bit of a melting pot, uh, and I'm excited to see, you know, how that actually shakes out. Um, and I think it's going to be a little bit more diverse than it probably has been thus far. Um, I will tell you that when I moved my LLC here, it was a little bit more complicated from an administrative standpoint, um, and that might surprise you if you knew that I came from California. Um, cause people tend to think of that as a much more red tape state and it typically is, but incorporating here, um, I just had more hoops to jump through. Huh. I had more hoops to jump through getting my driver's license and, and, uh, and license plates. So, um, I'm not, I don't quite understand all the reasons for that. There's probably some good reasons, but, um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little bit more, a little bit more laborious. Hmm. Um, do you find during your consultations with clients and, and during your coaching, uh, that sometimes the business opportunities are maybe more about changing how the um, the business uh, the business emotionally reacts. Uh, yeah, well, some of this gets back to some of the growth versus um, fixed mindset uh, stuff I was talking about earlier. Um, but I will tell you that um, emotions do play a big role, and I do think that uh, numbers and KPIs pr provide a nice ballast. Um, because you might have this sinking feeling that a certain, a certain sense of foreboding, it's, it's hard for business owners to turn it off at night and just stop thinking about it. What does help and can help sometimes is to really know that you have a solid command on your numbers. Um, so for instance, I'll give you specific, um, uh, cash on hand or, um, you know, cash on hand as a ratio against monthly expenses or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, these are, these are, these are numbers that help you feel like you, you have visibility and control over the things that you care most about. And frankly, the liabilities that you fear might come up and bite you. Um, so, 
so there's no substitute for that. On the other hand, um, we are emotional creatures and, and I'm, that's not a bad thing. It's, it's a good thing, but our emotions, um, can sabotage us if we're not careful. So I actually teach my clients a process of morning journaling that helps them decide ahead of time how they want to show up in their day and in their meetings. Um, kind of what persona, for lack of a better term, or attitude, or presence, or spirit, or however you want to think about it, about it like how they want to show up, despite how they might be feeling. Um, and again, this is just a process of, of reflection and thoughtfulness of what's coming, what's going to be needed from me as a leader in that moment, and now I'm going to write down how I need to show up. And when you do that, and you're intentional about how you show up, guess what? You show up that way a lot more. Yeah, being mindful of how you're going to uh, to interact. I like that. Right. Um, I've had acquaintances who have started multiple businesses. Um, they just it seems like they've got two or three or four, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. Um, they they start them, they get the processes in place, and then uh, they move on to start another business. What can you teach the skills needed to to kind of master that? I don't know if you'd call it a funnel, but um, being successful and growing multiple businesses, yeah, even in different industries. Well, there's certainly, you know, different industries are, are often referred to as verticals. And I would say that there are um, horizontal um, processes and concepts and disciplines that are applicable um, to every business and uh, so are sort of undergird and are foundational to any vertical that you want to stack on top of that horizontal layer. Um, so what do I mean by that? Um, uh, just kind of business fundamentals. What is our vision for this company in the next one, five and 10 years? And how are we leading our company into that vision? What are we measuring that tells us where we are in relation to that goal? What are the processes that we are using to get there? Some of the how, and all of their various intricacies. Um, who are, is going to help run those processes or journeys, facilitate the, the movement through those journeys? What is it, how, how do you define what a right person looks like and, and you know, right seats look like? Um, what do we stand for? What are our core values? What, what good do we want to do in the world? Uh, you know, what evil do we want to vanquish, like I said earlier? Um, and a whole host of other you know, horizontal, if hopefully that makes sense now, like these are competencies that have nothing to do with whether you're manufacturing widgets or servicing customers. These are just sort of business foundations. So the other question about, you know, serial entrepreneurs there, there, it is important to note the, um, how, how people are suited for starting things versus um, maintaining and growing things. And those are different skill sets. And serial entrepreneurs get bored managing things. Um, they're happy to set things up. This is what we mean by sort of entrepreneurial. They, they uh, love new things. They love exciting ideas. And then they get bored. And then they go want to do something else. And so this is a classic visionary personality. 
um, you know, some people, if they're, if they describe, if they've had a poor experience with these people, they're going to call them, you know, shiny object syndrome or squirrel brain or something like that. Right. They're, they're bouncing all over the place, but guess what? That's, it's actually really, really important and necessary, but it's also really important and necessary to have ballast in that relationship and a counterbalance to that, you know, rocket fuel, uh, somebody who can provide stability and follow through and systems and processes and procedure and the relationship between that visionary and more of that integrator of operations role is a really important duality that needs to exist in the business. And they don't need to beat each other. They need to complement one another. Are there any trends that you've noticed, say, over the past few years, either in regards to business coaching or the businesses themselves and their environments? Um, what's changed? What are you excited about? Yeah, so in terms of coaching, um, you know, there, there's a lot of gurus, coaches, frameworks, programs. Uh, and so it can be overwhelming a little bit to know like, oh, do I like this system or that system better? And I would just say, don't get bogged down with trying to decipher like what the best framework is or necessarily believe the latest hype about, hey, this new method, right? Um, and you end up on someone's landing page and, and, and hear their 45 minute webinar. <laughs> I would say that roughly 75% of them are curating the same concepts. They've just sort of re renamed things, repackaged things. They've slapped a trademark on it. <laughs> they lawyered up, you know, the IP lawyers mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's not all exactly the same, but there's so many commonalities. So going back to some of those business foundations we talked about a minute ago. So I would just say, pick one, commit to it and master it. And whichever one it is, if you commit to it, it's actually going to make, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your business. Uh, and then you'll end up being, you know, uh, an evangelist for that, that framework. But really it's up to you to kind of do the work. Um, in terms of businesses themselves, um, you know, there, there, there are commonalities by industry or by kind of season that we happen to be in right now. You know, right now, everybody seems to be talking about staffing. I mean, how hard it is to find good people, keep good people. And, and this is, this is really a challenge, um, right now, you know, when, when COVID originally hit, everybody was trying to figure out how do I get PPP? And, and then it was, how do I get it forgiven? Um, and jumping through all those hoops, um, and, and how do I sort of just stay alive essentially. So uh, in different industries face different challenges, different problems in different ways. There's different, definitely cycles in business. Um, we, as, as everybody knows, are, are seeing some significant inflation uh, and we are uh, probably looking and we are looking at a recession. And yet um, the tendency is to allow fear to, to dominate. Uh, and so the best business advice that I receive from others and I tend to try to give is there's always opportunity. Anything, anytime something changes, whether an upswing or a downswing, there's opportunity. And so trying to look to see where those opportunities are and actually making some key investments in those opportunities rather than kind of going into a hoarding mentality uh, is, is going to be your best bet. Look, there's a risk. There's always risk. You could be wrong on your bet, but there's, guess what? I mean, even if you weren't a business owner and you went to go work for somebody on a, as a W-2, <laughs> they're not beholden to you. You can get laid off. Like there, there's always risk.
there's always risk everywhere. So for me and my risk and like how I manage my anxiety, I spend time journaling. I pray a lot. Uh, I'm a man that believes that, uh, or I'm trying to believe the things that Jesus says. And so that comes to be, like, I have to deal with that personally, um, in terms of don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about your life. Uh, your father knows that you need them. And so, um, everybody has their own mechanisms for like how to deal with that anxiety, but, um, there's also opportunity. And, uh, I think it's, it's cause for curiosity and for some optimism. Well, Kevin, how could um, how how could a small business get a hold of you and figure out if uh, you're a good fit? Yeah, just reach out to me at Kevin Crew. That's K R U. dot com. Kevin Crew. dot com. Um, also, check us out at Achievers. dot community. Achievers. dot community. It's a community of small business owners who are getting better together. Uh, and then, if you're on LinkedIn, um, my handle over there is Kevin Crew. Kevin, thank you so much. I've really appreciated the conversation. It's been very reflective and cerebral. So thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Thanks for having me so much. I appreciate it. Take care.